Liftoff. We have a liftoff. This is the Owls Podcast. It serves as a disclaimer. All views expressed on this podcast are for entertainment and educational purposes only. I am not a financial advisor and recommend that you seek one when seeking financial advice. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Owls Podcast. I'm your host, D. Wayne McCarthy, and this is the second episode of the Owls Podcast. If you tuned in to the first episode last week, I greatly appreciate you for your ears and your time. You didn't have to do it, but you chose to listen to it anyways. So thank you. I greatly appreciate that. Um, as the title was in the first episode, um, first of many, and it's easy to say that simply because, I mean, the market, the economy. I mean, it's something that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And I mean, it affects us, you know, directly. Some of us choose to pay mind to it. Some of us don't. And that's okay. But at the end of the day, it directly affects you whether you acknowledge it or not. And so it's just how you choose to interpret the information and what you choose to do with it. Um, you know, some individuals take this information and try to figure out how to get their household together. You know, some people are looking to buy a home. Some people are looking to start investing. Some people just want to be just informed. So that's the premise um, or a portion of the premise to this podcast, just to keep you informed. It's for education and entertainment purposes, of course. So um, with that being said, today is August the 14th. Monday, the stock market opened up with all the indices kind of just mixed a little bit. Not much headway within the stock market. Um, I think the market's still looking for direction. We just got done with earnings season. Um, So some of the retail companies or retail businesses are reporting today, and um, we'll see what they say. I mean, a lot of consumer spending has kind of just tempered down a little bit, Um, but we'll see. We'll see. So I want to get into our first topic, our first segment of the show, which is the market report. Okay, so the U.S. housing market. If you're a first time home buyer, I think this applies to you. I mean, just if you're a home buyer or home seller in general, this is something that um, I believe has direct correlation to you. So according to Redfin, the U.S. housing market hits a record high driven by a supply shortage in homes so if you haven't noticed homes are still high right now and the reason being is due to the fact that um, there's just not much supply out there there's a home shortage so which is keeping these um, sellers prices pretty high because it's competitive right now so there's no real place to go if you're looking for a house I mean only right now the place you can look to is is renting and I mean if you rent, I mean, you're paying pretty much a tremendous amount. I mean, an arm and a leg in the Dallas Metroplex. I mean, on average, you're paying about $2,200 to stay in a roughly 800 square foot, if that, 600 square foot apartment complex. And I mean, that's, I mean, that's itty bitty to be paying that much. You know what I mean? I mean, some people who stay in, in the Metroplexes, I mean, it, it helps if, you know, I guess if you're paying for convenience to be around everything, 
You know, some people, depending on what stage in life they're in, that might be the ideal spot for them in their life where, hey, I'm paying for convenience. Yeah, I'm paying an arm and leg, but hey, I'm next to the mall. I'm next to the restaurants. I'm next to entertainment. You know what I mean? So I can see that. But, of course, the downside to that is that you get no return. You know, you don't get any return on the money that you're putting into somebody else's property. So, um, but as far as the, the housing shortage right now, it's just keeping the market, the housing market up pretty much as far as just the 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 prices that sellers are looking to sell their their homes at i mean they want to return on their money of course but uh the shortage of homes are pretty much just propping up the home prices making it harder for first-time home buyers to attempt the first home not to mention interest rates are still high and climbing and last week we talked about the cpi print that came out on thursday the consumer price index and that in itself went back up we were at three percent inflation now we're taking up by 0.2 percent and so um it's just showing that the that inflation is going up a little bit now we also talked about in the first episode as far as the um federal reserve and how they interpret this data you know jerome powell his whole goal is to get interest rates down to two percent and on the way that um he can do that or one of the ways he can do, do that is by hiking interest rates you know he can unload the the balance sheet that they hold um as far as assets they own um but interest rates is one of the things that is easily at his disposal to combat inflation so i mean with the cpi print there's a possibility that some will argue that we're looking to possibly see one or two more interest rate hikes within the near future at the next fed meetings in september so who knows how jerome powell will go about i guess you know addressing inflation i mean he could simply just raise interest rates or he may just wait you know he could raise it a quarter basis points he could raise it you know 50 basis points but we'll know in september so anyways um as far as you know, with sellers right now, I guess the question is, once you do sell your home, I mean, where do you go? You know, with interest rates again being high, I mean, you're you're looking at nearly 7% interest rates. So, I mean, if you have a home right now and you sell it, you know, if you're looking at buying a, I guess, a, a property that has already built a used home, I mean, you may be looking at a downsize potentially because you know you're 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 paying an arm and a leg with these interest rates now if you were looking at as far as like a first-time home buyer and you're looking at a new build some families i guess are first residentials are looking for first residentials like um single family residential excuse me um i mean i guess you know you could refinance after your first purchase you know what i mean you may deal with the interest rates that are higher now looking to in the future to you know refinance but the issue is of course you still have to just combat and just live with that higher mortgage note until you can refinance so but also too um within this last few months there's only been a one percent change in home ownership in, in regards to as far as sellers selling their homes to buyers so there's only a one percent change in the market as far as or one percent of people that are selling their homes and uh to new to to first-time home buyers or just buyers period so it's pretty interesting to see that just 
with all these economic headwinds, you know, people are talking about a recession to come either within the end of the year, beginning of the next year. I mean, who knows? Um, some will argue they were in a recession right now, but there's just so much going on right now that it's hard to really say that, um, you know, if it's even worth it. You know what I mean? Do you entertain higher interest rates for longer or what? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's just how do you want to consume your poison? You know what I mean? So do you deal with interest rates or do you stay with the house that you live in right now? You know what I mean? You you may not be in the ideal home that you want, but, you know, that interest rate that you have on your mortgage right now is tolerable. If you have a 3% interest rate locked in, you can, you can tolerate that. But, you know, it'll be a big adjustment, I guess, if you were to make that transition to buy a new property. And you buy the new property and you're stuck with a 7% interest rate. That's tough. I think I'll probably, you know, I'm already a penny pincher, so I can only imagine it'd just be even harder for me telling everybody to cut off the lights in the house. We gonna, you know, take baths in five minute increments. Everybody get two minutes in the shower. You know what I mean? So it'd just be hard just to deal with seven percent interest rates on a on a on a house right now so you know home sellers may just be better off just staying with the the home they're in right now until you know economic headwinds kind of favor them a little bit more i mean usually when higher interest rates are involved you know there's new less i guess construction built um there's less home buying you know people are just kind of just you know being more conservative with their budget so it's one of those things where at the end of the day, do you want to live in comfort, luxury, or do you want to, you know, have means to an end? So, um, your choice, I guess. But as far as how this is affecting, you know, I guess, macroly, as far as like the higher notes and the, I guess, the higher prices of homes, you know, your big metropolitan areas are seeing a decrease uh, as far as like sales price but places like little rock arkansas new jersey um these are places that have seen a skyrocket within you know value prices home prices so people are moving to areas like that where normally it wasn't you know i guess that expensive to once move there so it's pretty interesting seeing how these macro events such as interest rates going up just inconvenience some and help others so but I guess, you know, what also is contributing to that, you know, as far as, like I said, just interest rates being high and mortgage rates being at nearly 7%, but the economy is so strong right now. Um, it's, it's just resilient at this point. We talked about last week after the CPI print came out that unemployment uh, claims went up just a, just a bit. Um I think 248,000 people filed for unemployment claims. And that, like I said, that we, we talked about last week. That sounds like a lot, but that's only like a fraction of the U.S. economy, um, the, the U.S. workforce. So, I mean, if you talk about as far as unemployment, we're at historical lows. We're at 3.5% unemployment rate, which is one of the lowest unemployment's ever been, right? So... <laughs> The issue is for someone like Jerome Powell, who looks at this data 
he already said back to, I guess, a couple months ago that he was telling Congress that, hey, unfortunately, as a byproduct, we need unemployment to go up to get inflation under control. And that sucks to be on that end of that stick. But you have to inconvenience some to benefit the masses, I guess, according if you look at it from Powell's perspective, if we're trying to get interest rates down to two percent and it's just being stubborn right now, he needs to see unemployment go up. And like we talked about last week was that wages is not wages are going up. If you looked at UPS, they got a big fat raise. Right. And it's just that is contributing to inflation right now. So the economy is doing well, which is a good sign. But when you're trying to combat inflation, it's not helping the case right now that the economy is doing so well. So if you're looking at mortgage rates, um, a 30 year fixed note, you're looking at roughly 7 percent, looking at a 15 year fixed rate, you're looking at 6.3 percent. So if we continue to see these strong economic numbers with unemployment numbers being low and pressures on, on, on wages, we're likely to see um, interest rates continue to climb. So you can imagine the mortgage rates about to go up. Right. Because, again, interest rates are one of the tools that the Fed uses to to get inflation under control. So if we talk about those several factors, I mean, that's impacted inflation. We just talked about them. Strong economy, unemployment wage growth and we talked about the, the the shortage of homes here in america these things are contributing to inflation so until we get these things addressed we're probably going to see higher interest rates to come now there's some that predict that by next year you know we'll see a rate cut and it's possible some say we'll see a recession possibly by 2025 it's possible but there's no definitive way to know right now and the, the Fed is just, as they say, they're data dependent at this point. They have to see the data support, you know, the next the next rate hike. And right now, at this at this point, it, it seems very plausible that they may just go ahead in September, raise interest rates again. Now, if you're an investor in the stock market, this might be an opportunity for you to possibly invest in that because not only is august and september one of the worst months for the stock market but going into like the new the third quarter you typically see hedge funds start taking profits and start you know pretty much doing tax write-offs and tax losses and whatnot so they can write them off in the end so they have to pay less in taxes right so we're probably going to see another change in sentiment in the market pretty pretty soon so september i'm anticipating a lot of volatility within the stock market and like i said we're probably going to see interest rates hiked again and if we do see i guess a a another interest rate hike we're already talking about a credit crunch right now where um as the fed continues to raise interest rates that means banks are less likely to lend out money. And the reason being is because you have something that's called the Fed fund rate. So every time the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, the Fed fund rate goes up. And basically what it is is where banks borrow money from other banks and they charge an interest rate to those banks. Well, who do you think has to pay for it in the end? Right. On the back end. So if the, if the bank has to borrow money from the bank at an interest rate they're going to charge you more as far as the interest rate in order to come out with a profit right and also too 
you know, you have to be seen credit worthy. So if you're looking for a loan, like whether it be a business loan for your business or you're looking to, you know, for a first time home buyer, if you're looking for a loan or just an investment property, period, you're now seen as a, a liability at this point. Now, if you don't have a good credit history or a good credit rate, so they may, you know, raise their rates on you as far as what they're willing to to loan you which is going to hurt you but also too it's going to hurt the economy because if banks aren't loaning out money right because money is it's what fuels the economy right so the more money that's out in the economy more likely people will spend which fuels our economy which helps produce um our gross domestic product gdp right well if we stop pushing money into the economy we're going to start see um you know businesses start to tailor to the credit conditions right so the credit conditions are going to change and the less likely there's money out there in the economy they the businesses are going to have to adjust their profit margins they're going to have to start laying off people right and unemployment going up means less people spending right so this is going to essentially eat at inflation it becomes deinflationary at that point, but at the inconvenience, inconvenience of, of others, right? We all want interest rates to go down, but some people are going to be affected by it more than others. And that's the sad truth about the economy, right? Interest rates, recessions, that these are opportunities. If you're an investor, if you're someone who's looking to buy a home, you know, looking for foreclosures or whatever it may be, this is an opportunity for some, but at the inconvenience at, of others, right? But the Fed has a job to do, and that job is to control monetary policy. And this is unfortunately one of the ways that they do it. Now I want to enter into a different segment. In this segment, I want to call it Tech Talk. Not like TikTok, but Tech Talk or TED Talk. You know what I mean? This is Tech Talk, like technology talk. You get what I'm saying? Anyways, um, let's discuss as far as tech has recently seen a, a big pullback um, following earnings reports. We saw um, some companies, I mean, fairly all the tech companies did very well. I mean, Apple beat earnings, Microsoft beat earnings, um, Google, Amazon, they all beat earnings. But some of them saw more of a pullback than others. So Apple has been doing tremendous, right? Within these last four to five months, they've been, they recently hit a new all-time high around 198. But they've seen a roughly, uh, about a 10% pullback um, since the earnings reports. So iPhone sales have dropped within Apple, which some investors you know, question is, is growth even still possible for Apple? There's this, there's this huge company that, that is argued to be a company that thrives in, in a monopoly. Um, their prize possession, their jewel, the iPhone sales have been taking a little of a beating lately. And I mean, some people, you know, question is innovation still a part of Apple's blueprint? You know, they looking, they're looking for new ways. You know, they recently, in the last couple of months announced the Apple Vision Pro, you know, it's the equivalent to Meta's uh, Quest goggles and 
with that, you know, it's something that's supposed to be the rival to help generate revenue for them to tap into another base, revenue base. But there are some people that question that Apple at this point is just reaching, you know, um, they haven't been very innovative in these last few years. In 2016, they started to see a slump. And I think even around 2019 as well, too, they started to see a little slump. And people just question, is Apple done? You know, um, Microsoft as well saw a little bit of a pullback as well, too. Um, they saw roughly about a 12% pullback. Uh, now, Microsoft, there's a lot of promise and upside with Microsoft because they focus on cloud service. You know, they provide other sources of revenues, whether it be through some of their hardware <clears throat> that they offer, like their Surface books, whatnot, um, as far as the security measures that they offer. But when you think about it, though, Azure is one of their biggest source of revenue. Now, you may be asking, what is Azure? Well, like I said, Microsoft generates most of its money, its revenue through Azure, which is a cloud computing platform that offers roughly 600 services, such as like infrastructure, right? So it provides like storage and network. And with that being said, it also offers like application software, such as like, I'm pretty sure you heard of it, maybe, JavaScript, Firewall. So this helps, I guess, like um, also to, you know, write code and infrastructure. So another coder, doesn't necessarily have to start from ground zero. They can just build off the software that Microsoft has already provided. With that, you know, um, developers are able to build websites using Java and Python, and it helps it, you know, as far as become scalable. So they also have um, security measures. They help with, you know, um, sensitive information, and they have watermark marks for copyright and patents. And they also, too, offer, um, like, mobile services for um, analytics uh, management and productivity with automation I mean just Azure is a huge source of their revenue but it also helps you know many companies depend on it you know as far as within this security measures um, within its built-in software like I said we talked about um, one of the products that they offer is the whole little Microsoft package that comes with it, such as the Microsoft PowerPoint, Excel, um, what is it, Outlook. All those things are some of their biggest sources of revenue. And mind you, though, too, it's based off of as a pay-as-you-go or a subscription service, right? So every year, so let's say, for example, you know, the city of Houston, for example, they may utilize or Dallas, you know, city of Dallas may use um, Microsoft's um, 360, their platform to have everything basically encompassed the Outlook email. Right. Microsoft PowerPoint, Excel spreadsheet, uh, Word. Right. So these are subscription based services. Well, if there's a credit crunch right these big economic headwinds this now takes away from their sources of revenue because what do i mean if you're if you're faced with these economic hardships right what do businesses do they stop spending money they they dial back on their capital expenditures right so they're not spending as much money as they were prior so this has led to azure seeing a little little i guess loss of revenue 
due to the fact that interest rates are going higher. There's a credit crunch. Businesses are not, you know, fully utilizing all the services that they may offer. Right. Or they may just not pay for the service, period. Right. So this sees or excuse me, this. So we're now seeing in Azure that there's, you know, seen a little downturn and possibly that may I guess continue throughout the end of the year but that doesn't mean that there's not a need for the cloud service so you talk about one company that did see a big pop because of the cloud service or two of them really Google being one there's a strong demand you know they saw a a big pop recently due to the fact that they saw a return in their Google search YouTube ads had increased and and the cloud space has also increased Amazon saw a big jump within their AWS. Now, mind you, Amazon Web Service had suffered um, prior in the, in the previous co- uh, quarters, but now they're starting to see a turn. And it's all, I believe, correlated with artificial intelligence. Now, you may ask who utilizes Amazon Web Service, right? AWS. Just like how Microsoft is utilized by big companies and big cities and whatnot, and government, so is AWS. And some of the companies that utilize AWS, NASA, Netflix, and like I said, the U.S. government. So they offer roughly 200 services, unlike Microsoft's Azure, which offers 600 services. AWS offers roughly 200. However, though, their service is they have, I mean, some of the things that AWS offers, just like um Microsoft offers they offer these wide range of capabilities and services that help with productivity security and storage so for example they have what they call middleware which is one of the services that is offered within AWS and I mean it's pretty much offered through all cloud services but the purpose of middleware is to make um, I guess information easily accessible right it helps with task and with not um, perform multiple commands so when you use for example like um, an application like an app or or whatever with middleware what it does essentially is is that it helps perform multiple tasks helps pull from multiple libraries and databases to be able to perform whatever um, function you asked it to to complete so like with Androids, for example, they use middleware for, you know, to communicate with apps that have, you know, access to the largest databases and web services and browsers and whatnot. So not only that, um, they have what they call an Internet of Things or IoT, which allows for devices to exchange data with one another. Right. And not only that, Amazon Web Services utilizes or they have server farms and microsoft does too i'm pretty sure google does too they all have uh server farms and within these server farms it helps um pretty much like clients with like storage networks and databases and management and scaling or excuse me scaling that came out wrong i don't know why but these services are essentially utilized um by these big entities who ask or who subscribe to these tech platforms and these tech platforms are just, they know that they're the bread and butter that runs the economy, right? So they charge, once again, subscription fees. And these fees are based off of the usage and hardware and operating systems that they have to offer. So once again, if we go back to Amazon, year to date, right? Meaning from the time, 
this time last year, Amazon is up roughly 58%. Now, compared to the S&P, which has seen you know, a 15% return this year, um, tech has fueled most of those gains in the S&P um, 500. So, if you remember back, if you've been paying attention to the stock market, in particular, the tech market, Amazon and Google saw like lows of like $85 and $90, give or take. But they've recovered since those October lows of last year, and they're up 58%, roughly 58%. So, you know, one thing that Amazon had suffered from was the lack of e-commerce driven, you know, um, people paying for the services and whatnot because people start saying, hey, there's a possible recession. So they start doing a credit crunch. You know, they stop spending money as much. Hey, if there's a recession, I want to be prepared for it. And one thing that if you paid attention to as far as economic data lately is that, um, you know, people are going through their, their savings. And some people still have reserves from their savings from the, the pandemic and whatnot. Um, but Q2 um, of this year show that, hey, we back in swinging now. Amazon back. You know, their Amazon services or Amazon Web Services has returned. That was one of the biggest things that suffered last quarter or excuse me, last year. So Amazon is doing well. So, as we said, what is going to keep tech coming? Like I said, we've seen a pullback in tech in these couple couple weeks. But what's going to keep tech going is the argument of artificial intelligence. So we talked earlier again about Biden meeting with, uh, or if you paid attention to my uh, Instagram feed, that um, Biden had met with the tech giants, Amazon, Google, Meta, and uh, Microsoft. Um and open AI to discuss how do we go about utilizing artificial intelligence? Can we guarantee that this is not a national security matter measure? You know, how would, I guess, um, user data be utilized? Because as you know, I mean, a lot of these platforms have a lot of our sensitive information. And so the fear by the, the white house is how will this be utilized and could it be weaponized against us? And so, um, it just goes to show you that artificial intelligence is key. Now, you may be asking, what are, what are some of the, the the services, I guess, that AI may offer? Well, the premise of AI is to make, <laughs> I mean, honestly, is to make our life easier, right? Um, it makes us lazy, I guess, in a cer- certain sense. But the premise of AI is to automate complex processes and to minimize um downtime by being able to have i guess algorithms that build off one another and as these algorithms build off one another it makes functions a lot more simpler tasks a lot more simpler productivity goes up it's able to predict our needs improve accuracy decision making um it's supposed to help augment our intelligence with analytics and predicting patterns um, helps with cybersecurity. I mean, it, it, there's a hodgepodge of things that AI is supposed to help us with, even with, you know, military um, strategies. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many different things. Healthcare. The the possibilities of artificial intelligence is unanimous. It, it, it's, it's huge. It's big. So, I mean, and if we have it easily accessible, such as on our phones, um, I mean, this can help with daily tasks. I mean, set reminders, filter our emails. I mean, there's so many different things that we can do. I mean, if you think about, like, let's say, for example, the contacts that we have on our phone, right? 
the context that we haven't even touched in years where AI can go through and basically filter out some of these old numbers and phone numbers that we don't utilize or context that we don't utilize. And it can basically um, erase them or clean them up for us. So artificial intelligence has a space in the future and tech is what's leading that that race. Right. So if you're investing into tech right now, such as in the stock market, there's a lot of potential and upside for tech to come within the near future. So, I mean, if if we think about how AI affects us, it interprets data. So if we can, let's say we turn this over to healthcare, for example, right? So how can I say this? So if AI is able to interpret, let's say, for example, test results, right? And lab results that, you know, if as a, as humans, we may interpret the data and we may interpret it wrong. Well, if we use artificial intelligence to help interpret data, not only does it help, I guess, with innovation, but it's able to help possibly come up with cures and remedies or even, let's say, for example, give you the the, the right diagnosis compared to where if it's left up to man, there's room for human error. Not to say that AI is the end all be all and it has all the answers, but it helps with productivity margin errors and i mean bottom line it helps with company and profit margins and revenue i mean i can see big pharma utilizing that you know the the healthcare space you know it drives revenue essentially and if they can come up with new cures i mean it's just another way that they can market us back to us i mean you know here in america we we live in a society where we want instant gratification Right. So if we can take a pill to help us lose weight. We're going to do that. Right. If we can, you know, take a pill to help us gain weight, we're going to do that versus, you know, using, you know, I guess, natural measures such as working out and exercising and eating. Right. Well, you know, if AI can be utilized to come up with remedies and medications to help us, you know, I guess, meet our goals. As a society, we want instant gratification and we'll do that. We'll, we'll choose that route. Right. And so there's a lot of room for AI. Like I guess it can be used in the healthcare space. I mean, it can be utilized in our day to day lives and even, like I said, military. Right. Military tactical warfare, because we talked about how Biden last week had signed an executive order banning U.S. venture capitalists from investing into Chinese tech companies. Right. And the reason being, he made the argument it's a matter of national security. And I can see the argument in that because artificial intelligence is supposed to be the new Internet, it's supposed to be the new wave. Right. It's supposed to help us lead us into a new era. Some people fear it. Some people don't. But I mean, if you think about it, they can use this in a military tactical warfare. It can interpret data. Right. Satellite images and whatnot. Um, it can help come up with strategies. Um I mean, there's just so many different things with, you know, weaponry. I mean, AI can come up with, I don't know, I'm I'm not a tech person, but it can probably come up with a, a lot more things than the human mind can even fathom, right? So AI is such a a, a key thriver in the, in the economy and in infrastructure in the world. And I mean, there's a lot of room for it. 
right? So, like I said, if you're investing in the stock market and you're looking to invest into tech, I mean, that's probably what's going to fuel this tech pool or it gets run up in the coming years, right? So we can anticipate, I guess, a, a rebound in the in the tech market in in some time in the near future because there's just this big push for artificial intelligence and semiconductors, which are chips, right? So my little personal theory though within the market we're probably going to see maybe another leg lower due to the fact that quad witching is coming up next month in september you know every three months is a new quarter um contracts expire whether it be in options and futures right so you're going to have traders and investors start taking some profit and so we may see a little bit of a, a lower leg in the in the overall stock market so i just want to give you I guess your little tech talk, right? So that concludes tech talk. Now I want to get to concluding episode two. I want to have stoic talk, right? So for those who may not be familiar with stoicism, right? Stoic is stoicism is basically a philosophy that some subscribe by, which is um, a ideology of embitterment, empowerment. Um, that you subscribe to wisdom and knowledge. You don't necessarily succumb to, I guess, your lower nature, that you choose the higher road, that you choose the more methodical road, the more philosophical road in your day-to-day approach, right? So today, I want to give you a quote by Hippocrates. He was known as the father of modern medicine. One of his, um, I guess, things that he did with his life was study how disease affected the human body. And he believed in practicing modern medicine. He believed that we have the fates to change our outcomes if we change our dietary needs, um, if we exercise more, that there were natural remedies that we can use in order to heal the state of our body so I'm going to give you a quote by Hippocrates and it goes before you heal someone ask him if he's willing to give up the things that's making him sick now if you think about that of course within context he's talking about as far as um, our lifestyle you know when it comes down to um, choices that we we as far as consumption um, and how it affects us and it makes us sick but if you take it to more of a philosophical approach and how layered that is and how it can be applicable to different aspects of our life again the quote goes before you heal someone ask him if he's willing to give up the things that make him sick Now, if we apply that to our lives, I'm pretty sure there are a lot of things that we want in our life. There are certain desires that we have. But ultimately, what is stopping you from getting to those goals? Are there harmful practices that you do to yourself that inhibit you, that prohibit you, that limit you from reaching the goals that you say that you have and that you want? And those goals could be simply, hey, I want to be able to um, look better in the clothes that I wear. I want to have 
new shoes. I want to be able to um, read more. I want to be able to spend more time with my family. I want a different financial bracket. I want a new car. I want to spend more time with loved ones. Whatever it may be. Are you willing to give up those things so that you can now be better? Some of us are struggling with relationships. And I say relationships in the sense of whether it might be romantic or just whether it may be, you know, with your parents and loved ones that you have, right? There are some toxic traits that we see within them and we want better for them. But ask yourself, before you try to heal them, what are they willing to give up to make them better? What are you willing to give up? Right? Whether it be financially, physically, mentally, what are some of the things that you're willing to change so that you can get closer towards your overall goal, even your purpose? I'm reading um, The Way of the Superior Man. And one of the things that he talks about, about purpose and that he uses core as synonymous with purpose. Your core is your purpose. That's what keeps you going. That's what keeps you moving. Now, if you don't have a core, you don't have a purpose. So what is your purpose? What are, What is your goal? Are you willing to give up some things? Are you willing to heal yourself? What are the things that you're willing to give up so that you can now make yourself better? And I encourage you, whatever your goals are, whether it be to be more fit, look better in your clothes, to have a better relationship with your loved ones, whether it be to train your mental fortitude, what are you willing to do to empower it to make it better? All right. So this concludes the second episode of Al's podcast. Again, I am your host, Dwayne McCarthy. Let's do this again.